This is right up there with, um, you know, all the favorite topics you'd like to preach on. It's right up there with the top. Alcoholic beverages. I want us to think about it tonight. I could stand up here and I could begin with uh, all kinds of statistics. And uh, I could paint a picture for you of uh, all of the money that it costs for people to be alcoholics and for car accidents and, and accidents of any other kinds. And I could give you statistics on the number of alcoholics that live in our country and, again, how awful all of those pictures are. And I could stand up here and I could, I could spout off uh, the Hebrew words and Greek words and, you know, give you all of those words and their definitions and... There would be absolutely nothing wrong, I believe, with any of that. What I want to do tonight is just look at this from a very practical, common sense, logical view. Let's see what the Bible has to say about alcoholic beverages. And is this something that I target really some of our young people? Is this something that I want to, to give any thought to? Is this something I need to give any attention to? Is this something I need to involve myself in in any way? So I want to begin there tonight. And I just want to look at the Bible and just ask, is this good? Is this anything good about this? Is there anything good that comes from this? And let's just do so from a very practical, logical, common sense kind of view. Let's go with Noah. And let's, I'd invite you, just like Brother Jim did, to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. And I, let's just start there in Genesis chapter 9. And let's just go back and ask Noah, Hey, Noah, is this a highlight of yours? I mean, is this a good day in your opinion? Is this something that you are happy that the Holy Spirit felt was needful to write down for the ages? In Genesis chapter 9, in verse number 18, as Brother Jim mentioned, this is now after the ark. In Genesis chapter 9, in verse number 18, the Bible says... Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Noah, is this a proud moment of yours? If you were to ask Noah if this was a proud moment, what do you think Noah's going to say? No, this is not a proud moment of mine. I know that I was the one that God looked down, and the Bible says that God saw that I found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I was the one who built the ark. I was the one who got my wife onto the ark, got our sons onto the ark, got their wives onto the ark. I was the one who obeyed God. I and my family alone walked off the ark. We, eight of us, were the only ones who were alive after the flood. No. 
This is not a proud day. Ham, is this a proud day? Ham would say, no, this is not a proud day. This was not a good day for me. I'm sorry that I involved myself in this. I'm sorry that I went in and looked upon the nakedness of my father. I'm sorry that my son had to be cursed because of those actions. I'm sorry that I was involved in this. No, this was not a good day for me. This was not a good day for my family. Noah says, this is not a good day. And Ham said, no, this is not a good day. I, I go through the Bible and I just continue to look at instances. And, and you, do, you, need, you do need to know, in case you don't, that just because the Bible uses the word wine does not necessarily make it intoxicating. And what we are looking at tonight are instances where wine is taken in an intoxicating manner or wine that is, in fact, intoxicating in its shape and form. In Leviticus chapter 10, you have the account of Nadab and Abihu. And the Bible says in verse number 1 that Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. And so Aaron held his peace. Again, I think it is interesting. I don't believe that it is a coincidence that following that event that we know well in, he in Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3, that dropping down to verse number 8, you find these words. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. How serious is God? Very. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Isn't it interesting that offering that profane fire is followed by, do not drink intoxicating wine. Why? Because he said, when you do that, you're going to have trouble in your mind distinguishing between things that are holy and things that are unholy. In your mind, you're going to be clouded in your judgment and you're going to have trouble distinguishing between that which is clean and that which is unclean. And so stay away from it. How hard is that to grasp? Are you with me? I mean, this is not difficult, is it? It's very logical. It's very practical. It makes a lot of sense. Stay away from intoxicating drink. Your job as a priest in the Old Testament is told them to teach the children of Israel the statutes of the Lord. Don't involve yourself in this. Stay away from this. Don't drink it, lest you die. Sounds like God is very serious about it. I want to be serious about it too. I don't want to take in anything that's going to cloud my thinking. I don't want to take in anything that could in any way cloud my judgment. I want to be able to distinguish at all times between that which is holy and that which is unholy. I want to be able to know that which is clean and that which is unclean. So stay away from it. That's not complicated. 
That's pretty simple for me to understand. It doesn't take much. Well, you think about these priests, and you go over to the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah has this to say, toward the priest in the days of Isaiah. And you recall, in the days of Isaiah, the people of God are caught up in all kinds of sin. They are trying to go away from God, and God is sending Isaiah to warn them to stay away from this idolatry, stay away from this sin, lest I have to punish you. But here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 28 and some of what the priests have got themselves caught up in. In verse number 7, the Bible says, But they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink. They're out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. That doesn't sound good at all. They're erring in judgment. They are caught up in intoxicating drink. These are not people that God is complimenting, is it? These are people that God is condemning. He's condemning this behavior. So why would I want to get caught up in it? Why would I, as a Christian, not want to stay as far away from this as possible? I don't want to involve myself in this. God says this is just vomit and filth. I don't want any involvement in this at all. Again, brethren, it doesn't seem that complicated. Young people, this is not that hard to grasp. Stay away from this stuff. Stay away from this stuff. It is awful. Well, I go over to the book of Proverbs. Kyle read for us a moment ago from the book of Proverbs. Chapter 20 and verse number 1. We'll circle back to that in just a moment. But here is Lemuel's mother. This is advice that, that the king says, my mother gave me. Well, mothers are uh, usually pretty good at giving advice. You know, who loves you like your mother? Very few are going to love you like your mother. They're going to look out for your best interest. And this is what the king's mother says to the king. Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son? And what, son of my womb? And what, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of the afflicted. Don't drink. Don't drink that intoxicating stuff. You get involved in intoxicating wine, and he says it's going to cloud your judgment, and you are going to miss it. You're going to be unfair. You're going to have your mind clouded. I'm just saying tonight, I'm just reminding us for just a few minutes, that this is simply not wine, or not smart, or not wine, but it's not smart. You're going to forget the law. That's what he says to the king. Proverbs 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and those who are led astray by it are what? Not wise. I want to ask you a very practical question. How is one led away 
or led astray by wine. Do you know where that starts? You know, I could tell you that in this country there are over uh, approximately 20 million alcoholics. That's a big number. You know, I suppose that not one of them took a first drink expecting to be an alcoholic when it was all said and done. I suppose not even one of them said, I'm going to start this and I'm just going to never be able to get away from it. This is going to be a bother to me for the rest of my life. This is just going to be a burden that I have to bear for the rest of my life. If I start with this drink, it's just going to be something that follows me for the rest of my life. And those who love me are going to be hurt by this. And those in my family, they could potentially be destroyed by this decision. But I'm going to go ahead and take that first drink. It is not wise. It's not wise. Don't do it. You never have to worry about being led astray if you never take a drink. Just don't do it. It's not wise. Intoxicating wine is not complimented ever in Scripture. In fact, it's just the opposite. Think about the misery. Turn over to the book of Proverbs, back, back a few pages to chapter 23. Think about the misery that is, that is pictured here in the pages of God's Word. In Proverbs chapter 23, beginning in verse number 22, just work your way through this with me for a moment. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. You want to have a happy home? Buy the truth and do not sell it. Do things that please your parents. Parents, teach your children the ways of the Lord. Verse 26. My son, do you know the book of Proverbs, by the way, is just a book on parenting? It's full of it. It's parenting. Parenting tip after parenting tip. It's a book on parenting. Verse number 26. My son, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit. And a seductress, there we go, is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. Verse number 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? The answer, those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At last it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They've beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? The picture of addiction. 
Addiction starts with somebody taking a drink. That's where it starts. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without uh, cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the drink. Listen, this is not difficult to understand. This is very easy. A very simple-minded person like me, I can understand what this is saying. You know, they call it uh, intoxicating wine. I remember when the boys were little, we had a poison control number somewhere that was always there in case they got into something, right? And kids have a a way of sometimes uh, getting into something that they shouldn't get into. And uh, I don't remember this ever happening, thankfully, but maybe it has in your home or maybe you know of others where it has. and, And kids get into something and uh, they call that poison control number and they start asking a lot of questions and, and uh, what they want to do sometimes is to induce vomiting. They need to get it out of your body. Why? Because it is toxic. It's toxic. Isn't it interesting that being drunk is referred to as being intoxicated? What is it? Alcohol is poison. Alcohol is poison. It's putting poison in your body. When I was in college, I lived on the seventh floor of the dorm. It was a co-ed dorm. I've told you this before, perhaps, but a co-ed dorm. So every other floor, you had uh, males and females every other floor. And uh, I, I never did like it. It was something I had to do the first two years living on campus. And we had a common bathroom, which I really hated and uh, never liked that at all. And so, you know, everybody would meet uh, in the middle at the bathroom, and the seventh floor of my particular dorm was known as the party floor. And so you have all these partiers, and then you have me, and you have my roommate, Adam, and neither one of us are anywhere near close to that, and never had anything to do with it. But it was not uncommon for me on a Sunday morning, as I'm getting up to leave the, the, the dorm to go to church, It was not uncommon for me to step over someone who's passed out in the hall or to step over a pile of vomit on the floor. That never seemed appealing to me. I don't know about you. I don't like to throw up. Anybody? I don't like it. And uh, and I don't want to forget what I did the night before. That never, ever seemed appealing to me. But do you know why there would be piles of vomit on the floor that I would have to step over? I heard a preacher say once, because the stomach is smarter than the brain. The stomach says, i got to get this out. I've got poison in me, and I need to get it out of me. And that's what alcohol is. I don't want to be intoxicated. I don't want it to go down that road. I I want to be wise. Does any of that sound positive to you? Does any of that sound a way that... uh, that a Christian should behave himself or herself. When you think about Proverbs chapter 23, it's, it's a proverb that's in this context, it's all about being wise. It's all about doing what your parents are wanting you to do. It's all about offering sound advice. It's all about buying the truth and holding on to that truth and about causing your parents to rejoice and not bringing pain into the lives of others. In that context, verses 27 and 28, 
people would, would jump on board and say, absolutely, I don't want to go down the way of, of that harlot. I don't want my boys to attach themselves to harlotry. I would never want my daughter to be involved in such practice. And then I don't understand it, why sometimes my brethren want to try to justify intoxicating drink, which is the context that follows that. Verses 29 down through verse number 35. Stay away from that misery. And yet some, even in the church, will try to justify. Well, you see, verse 30, it says that they linger long at the wine. And so as long as I don't linger long, it's okay. I mean, as long as I just take it in moderation. As long as I just do it socially. I mean, what's wrong with going to the fridge and grabbing a beer and that? What's wrong with getting a beer at the, at the pizza joint? You know, what, what's wrong with taking it in in moderation? And they'll say something like, Jesus made wine. Oh, Jesus made wine. And so that makes it okay because Jesus made wine. I'm not really on a soapbox tonight. I'm just trying to be practical. I'm just trying to understand what the Bible says, and I'm trying to provide warning to all who might listen to this that that is not what the Bible says at all. Let's think about that. The mistake of claiming that Jesus made intoxicating wine. And again, we could look at all of the, the Greek, and we could look at all the words that are here, and, and we could break it all down in a very uh, uh, masterful way. I'm sure we could do that if, if we needed to, and it's nothing wrong with doing that, but... Let's just turn there to John chapter 2 and let's just read for a moment. In John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Don't, don't forget that. The mother of Jesus is there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, excuse me, called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. All right, so we got the picture in our minds. Wedding feast, uh, wine has run out. Mary says to Jesus, they run out, they need more. Jesus says, it's not my time yet. She says to his servants, whatever he says to do, go ahead and do it. So Jesus says, all right, there's six water pots, each containing, let's say, 20 gallons apiece. And so uh, fill those up, and they fill them up to the brim, dip it out, take it to the master of the feast. He drinks it, and he says, wow, you saved the good stuff until the end. Picture, got it. All right. Are you ready to say that my Lord was attending a drunken wedding party? 
Are you ready to say that the Son of God finds himself here at a drunken wedding party? I am not. I am not ready to say that. Based on everything we have just looked at in the Old Testament, I am not ready to say that Jesus finds himself at a drunken wedding party. And you say, well, I see here in verse number 10 that the, the master of the feast says, the guests have well drunk. See, they're drunk. No, they're not. It just means they've already taken in a lot of liquid. They've well drunk. They've drunk a lot. They have drunk a lot of liquid. doesn't mean they're uh, drunk in the sense that we think of when, when you take in a lot of intoxicating drink. It's not used that way here. Well, again, we could go into customs of the day and we could talk about the freshness of the fruit of the vine being the best. Well, we could talk about how the fresh squeezed was, was the uh, best and that things that had been set out for a little longer were inferior. And that's true in the custom of the Jews that day. But I'm just asking you to be practical and to use some common sense. Is Jesus going to take six water pots containing 20 gallons apiece and make 120 gallons of intoxicating drink? Are you ready to say that? Are you ready to say that our Lord made 120 gallons of intoxicating drink? I'm not. I am not ready to say that. And his mother is there. You think Jesus is going to provide intoxicating drink to his mother? No. A thousand times, no. He is not making intoxicating drink. He is providing fresh fruit of the vine. Did he make a miracle? Absolutely he performed a miracle. But he did not create intoxicating wine. Do not go down that road with me. Do not go down that road. The Son of God who left heaven and came to this earth and put on flesh, he did not. Can I ask you something? Did Jesus live perfectly according to the law of Moses? Shake your head like this. Based on all of those passages we have just looked at from the old law, do you think that Jesus would have lived a perfect life according to the law of Moses, taking in intoxicating drink? Shake your head like this. No. He did not break the law of Moses. Well, before I get to those final verses, someone else might think, well, you know, in the, the Lord's Supper, didn't Jesus use wine? I mean, weren't they taking wine in that upper room? Weren't they drinking wine in the upper room? Well, let's just think about what are they celebrating that night in the upper room? The Passover. They're celebrating the Passover. Again, I don't have this on the screen, but you can jot it down. And you can go back and look for yourself. When, when the Lord instituted the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, the command was given that for a week you shall eat no, uh, uh, no leavened bread. It should only be unleavened bread. Well, we don't have a problem with that, right? What, did, what was Jesus eating the night that they celebrated the Passover? Of course he was eating unleavened bread. That's all that they would eat was unleavened bread. But 
But Exodus chapter 12 says that you shall have no leaven in your house. No leaven in your house. Can I ask you, what is intoxicating wine? It's leavened wine. It's wine. It's juice with the yeast that is breaking down the sugar that's combined with carbon dioxide that begins to bubble. It is leavened. And there was to be no leaven with the Passover. They are eating unleavened bread, and they are drinking unleavened wine. The fruit of the vine, grape juice. That's what they have. No, no, the Lord was not drinking intoxicating wine as they celebrated the Passover. That would have broken the law, and Jesus was not going to break the law. Logic and common sense, it goes a long way. I wish we would just use it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 10, you recall that Paul wrote to Christians. You know, let me just say this, because some are going to say, okay, well, listen, old law, you point out a lot of old law, that's not our law today. You're right. Okay, so uh, you, you pointed out, you know, lingering long, and, and you know, the, is it wrong to... To, to be drunk. Of course it's wrong to be drunk. But again, I'm coming back to this moderation thing. And, and I'm coming back and I'm asking, is it wrong to just have one drink? Is it wrong to, to just have one beer? Is it wrong to just have, you know, one glass of wine? Are you saying that, that that's an issue? I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to get stumbling drunk. I just want to have a drink. Is it sin? Is it sin? Oh, that's a serious question. I don't want to be involved in sin, do you? No. So can we say that it is sin? The answer is yes. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 10. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 10, Paul says, Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. All right? He's not messing around. He's not playing a game. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They will not go to heaven. And in that list, in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 10, is the sin of drunkenness. Can I ask you again, what is that? What does that look like? And the answer is, not only is the end state condemned, but the beginning through the end is condemned. And where does it start? With one drink. That's where it starts. That's where drunkenness starts. And that whole process is condemned by God. Perhaps we could just stop the sermon, and I will, with 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22. You know what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 22? Abstain from every form of evil. Can I ask you, when you think about alcohol, is it positive or negative in your mind? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? And what I've tried to do tonight is to show you from the context, various contexts of Scripture, that it is never viewed in positive light by God. And so how can I, one who is striving to be more like Christ, attempt to justify such behavior? I cannot, I will not abstain from every form of evil. Stay away from it. 
You go to a ball game. The guy next to you orders a beer. Are you going to turn around and, and ask that man, hey, what must I do to be saved? I'm not. I'm thinking in my mind, that man doesn't know the Lord. Aren't you? And so how could I sit there and take something in, having someone looking at me and thinking, well, that's not a preacher. No way, that guy's a preacher. I bet he won't get up and go to church tomorrow. Abstain from every form of evil. I want to let my light shine before men that they may see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. You see, I'm not trying to get as close to the line of sin as I can. I want to stay as far away from that as possible. I believe it's condemned in Scripture. I believe it has no place in the life of God's people. I believe we need to stay as far away from that as possible. I had opportunity at some point in my life to sit on a grand jury. And for six months, we heard case after case. And without exception, I came home and I looked at our boys in the face and I said, boys, never, ever view pornography. The amount of sexual sin, you can stop it. Don't ever view pornography. And then I said, boys, don't you ever take a drink of alcohol or try any drug ever. The heartache, the heartache that those things cause alone are enough to make me hate the devil more. Stay away from that stuff. Stay away. Stay as far away as you possibly can. It will never bring anything good. Stay as far away from it as you can. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 says, Be of the same mind and in the same judgment. And I can't understand why it is, and I'm not saying it's true of anybody here, but I can't understand why members of the Lord's church can't be of the same mind and the same judgment on the matter of alcoholic beverages. I don't understand why we have to talk about these things as if someone is trying to justify this kind of behavior and try to make it okay. I think it's very good for us to be of the same mind and of the same judgment and say that stuff belongs to the devil and we better stay away from it. And that's just the way it is. Just stay away from it. Just stay away from it. Don't ever be around it or near it. Just stay away from it. And it will save so much heartache. Tonight, I know that we've, uh, we've really not talked about the plan of salvation like we did this morning. And yet I just want to remind you that there is a plan of salvation. And I want to remind you along with that, that what God has done is provided a way for you and I to be saved. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it so great that we don't have to get bogged down in the cares of this life? That our focus can always be on getting home to be with God? That, that we, we don't have to be get, involve ourselves in the sin of the world, but we can get above that and we can go home to be with God only because God in Jesus has provided us a way. Let's just go home to be with God. Let's get home to be with God. I just want to go to heaven, don't you? 
Do you believe tonight that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you ready to make that confession? To repent of sin in your life? To be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin? Will you be faithful to God? Just stay with God. Just be faithful to the Lord. And let's go home. Tonight, if you're subject in any way to the Lord's invitation, then won't you please come now while together we stand and while we sing.